Amen. Amen. <clears throat> to tag this text in our series, uh, I want to talk about today the picture of a God-driven life. The picture of a God-driven life. Let's go before him. Father, <clears throat> you are uh, to be our drive. You are to be our place of safety. You are to be the one who defines us, God. Uh, yet, um, there are so many other things that define us. And so, <clears throat> we are in the process that you placed us in as believers of mind renewal. And as our minds get renewed help, help, renewed, help us to see what it looks like to have our lives driven, driven, throttled, pressed forward by you and for you and for your fame and for your glory and for your purposes, Lord. And in order to make this done, you have to come through, you have to sweep through like a hurricane in our souls, Lord God, and do what only you can do to transform us and to challenge us to be who you've called us to be. And if someone is here that doesn't know you, Help them to know that they're not God-driven until they know Jesus. God, I pray that today the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our Redeemer in whom we trust in Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. 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 You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, when it comes to my favorite artists or actors or philanthropists or preaching influences, I love to know um, who inspires them. I, I love to know what people are reading, uh, who I admire, because I, 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 things that I admire about them, I wanna know what undergirds what they think, uh, what sort of shapes them, and what helps them. When I was in grad school, I used to ask my professors in the syllabus part of uh, the, the syllabus shock day, um, the first day, of course, we called syllabus shock because you're going to see the thousands of pages that you had to read that day. And I would ask the professor to go over to the bibliography and would he or she point out to us what are the most uh, shaping books on that particular subject. So whether it was systematic theology, biblical theology, eschatology, soteriology, or ecclesiology, or, 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 or what have you, or Greek or Hebrew, whatever it was, I wanted to know what, what else, what, I know, because sometimes their, their, bi, their bibliography has like 10,000 books, and I said, narrow it down to some specialty books that you would say I should tuck under me um, for the rest of my life. When I, when I was being pastored by my spiritual father, I asked him very specifically, what were the landmark books that influenced you, that helped you to shape sort of your philosophy and worldview? I like to watch biography series on cable where I can listen to different actors and actresses and business moguls and, and talking about what, what was sort of some of the things that inspired or shaped the foundational tenets of your life? And the question I'm going to ask you today, what inspires and influences you? What, what is shaping how you make your decisions? Are you just a spontaneous hippie who seeks to let life take you where you want to go? Or is there any intentionality that is undergirding all of your philosophical constructs, if you will? In other words, you, you, you have to ask yourself, what pastors my soul? What stirs my affections 
for life? What, what is driving me into this career? What, what, what's, what's driving me into this relationship to marry this person? What drives my singleness? What drives um, my uh, preoccupation uh, with whatever I'm preoccupied with? What, 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 what inspires or drives how I spend? What inspires you today, church? Uh, um, Paul is asking us the same question. What inspires and what is driving us today? Because he's coming uh, into this text today to give us uh, some clarity on uh, what we should be as believers in relation to inspiration and definition. <clears throat> because this, this idea of inspiration and definition is it is more than foundational. It should go from the foundation to the infrastructure of the entire facility of your soul. So as you look at this passage, you see the Corinthians are those who are connoisseurs of all different types of things. If you remember from our first Corinthians series, they were foodies. They were, they were fashionistas and, and things like that. They, they liked nice things. That means they were very particular uh, uh, about what they, but they, they were the type of people before they bought a car, they would look into Rob Report. Um, before they uh, made an investment, they would look into business journals. They, they were very particular and potent about what they looked at. Um, when they, before they got their clothes, they were we're going to look at GQ and Esquire and Vogue and uh, so for some of them, Ebony and uh, uh, things like in Essence and things like that and Jet Magazine and uh, skip one page. Some of y'all understand what I'm saying. <laughs> but, 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 but in other words, they were going to find themselves, they, they, had, they, they wanted to, so, but, but the one area of their life that was uncovered was their spiritual life because they allowed their cultural inspirations to influence their spiritual aspirations. And so what has to happen, you have to be very, very careful at what you allow as a believer to drive you and shape you. So we come to this passage, and I got one point and one point only, and I promise I'll be out your way. Uh, one, one point and one point only today when it comes to the picture of a God-driven life. If you're going to be God-driven, number one and only, number one point, the God-driven life is a life of unlimited freedom. You got to know that. Oh, this passage opens it up beautifully. It, it opens up this idea of freedom. Somebody say freedom. freedom. Paul here in this passage says in verse 12, which points back to verse 11, he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I, I like this. I, I, I like this. And th this could actually preach itself. Um, and, and, and it could really be the sequana of so many different things that we can see because <laughs> since we have such a hope, we are very Bold. The hope, hope is interesting. Uh, I've been trying to work out and break down a good definition of hope based on the scriptures. Hope is an expectant picture of renewal that reflects God's promises. A hope is an expectant picture of renewal that reflects God's promises. In other words, without hope, you can't have faith. Because the Bible says faith is the substance of things what? So if you don't have hope, you can't have faith because hope is a picture of what you're believing God for. But hope is the expectancy that God can actually do it. 
Okay, so, 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 so what, what in the world is his hope? He says, since we have such this type of hope, what is the hope? In verse 11, he tells you we are covenantally permanent. Y'all missed that. Um, There is permanence to our relationship with God. If I can break it down to street level, it means that God will never break up with you. And because, why, why is that hopeful? Because we're a mess. Now, I know you're not going to admit it, but you're a mess. And so your mess sometimes make you think that God's going to break up with you. And so what we're rooted in, guess what we're rooted in? No matter, we don't aim at being foolish. And we say, well, because of that, I might as well, you know what I'm saying? I'm just going to run on out here and go berserk. That means you don't know him. That, that means you don't know him. <clears throat> but, but, but the hope is those who wrestle with the mess that's in their life say, I'm glad that God has a permanent commitment to me that overrides my messiness. And, and, and other, that, that's good news for somebody because some of you back away from God because of your messiness, but the messiness of, uh, of, of the cross is an invitation for you to push forward. And so, and so, and so he, said, he says, this is the type of hope. Keep that verse up there. This is the type of hope that we have. We have, we have, uh, we have such a hope. Um, th- th- this is beautiful um, because of the permanence of your relationship with God blows my mind because that means that you can never lose being in a relationship with God through Christ. That, that means you can't be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You should have clapped there. It's too late. Um, because um, be, 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 because some, some people will say, I remember somebody say, well, well, God won't walk away from you, but you walk away from him. I'm saying, well, I don't Now, Where is he? Where is God? Everywhere. So how do I walk away from one who I'm in a relationship with that's everywhere? Well, they'll say, well, you, you, you can't, God, nobody can snatch you out of God's hands, but you're going to walk out of his hands. Now, I've said this before, but tease me for a second. Um, anthropomorphically, if God had a hand and he's omnipresent, how long would it take you to walk out of his hand? I mean, some of y'all are in pretty good shape. You can go jogging. Some of us will be like this, lagging behind and carrying on. Like, y'all keep going, we're going to catch up. But, but if all of us were to take off running, how long would it take us? The most in-shape person would run out of gas because God's too big when you're in him to run away from. Permanent. Permanent. Permanent, because that's why no matter what you do, you always run into him nagging you about fellowship with him. <laughs> Somebody gonna catch it on the way home. Um, because, because God is committed to being committed to you. Because he's committed to himself. Oh, you thought it was just about you. God is committed to God, that's why he's committed to you. Wow. So in light of that reality, he says, we should be very bold. Oh, man, this is crazy right here. Now, when he says be very bold, I like the fact that he didn't say bold. He said very bold. Now, the, the word was used in antiquities uh, to point to someone uh, 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 who, who was a smack talker. In other words, they had some type of boldness because they had something up under them. Um, let, let me see if I can make it plain. Um, I mean, one time... 
you know, there's this dude, I know he was in a phase of life where he could whoop me. Young, when I was young. Um, that don't mean nothing, y'all so crazy. Um, that mean, but um, it was a different phase of life. And, um, and, uh, and I knew that my, uh, you know, older folk are knowing about the tickets that I was selling, the wolf tickets. I was selling wolf tickets. Um, that means, that I, I don't even know how to break that down for this generation, but, um, but anyway, I was talking smack. And I began backing up because I knew that he had one punch knockout power. But all of a sudden he stopped for some reason. And I was talking smack and he stopped moving. So I said, I guess he's getting it, I can get at him now. But I didn't realize that my dad was standing behind me. And when I realized my dad was standing behind me, my boldness changed. It's like, yeah, man, I'm just saying, man, I'm just telling you, letting you know, man, you come, you come across that line right there, that line in the block where the crack is, I'm going to crack you right in your dome. But I was talking big trash. I sort of knew my dad was behind me, but I knew that he had enough uh, 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 investment with his presence to scare who I was talking to. In other words, very bold here means that you have nothing that's in the way of you being fearful anymore. Why? Why? Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear going into the presence of God anymore. Now, see, some of y'all don't even understand that. See, 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 the Jews, they used to tie a string around the high priest's ankle and put bells on the bottom of his outfit. Because there wasn't nobody going in there if he dropped dead to go get him. Because you would drop dead because you're unauthorized. Ask Uzziah, who got leprosy when he tried to do something that God told him not to do, and then God unleprotized him. I don't know if that's a word, Pastor Larry. I know it's not. But But he would walk back there, and his bells would be ringing, jingling, jingling. People would be like, everything's all right. You know what I'm saying? And the rope would be moving. Long as the rope moving, and long as they hear bells, sometimes he'd rock back and forth to let them know he was still alive. But, uh, and, and, and so what would happen is, is there was a fear of God's presence that they had. But look at what he says of what, what, what Moses had experienced. He says, not like Moses. We, we're not very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, dope. So he didn't want them, he veiled his face so that they, they had a disposition towards the presence of God that was fear. Because God said, if you touch the bottom of the mountain that my Shekinah glory drops on, you're gonna drop dead. So all of their disposition towards God's presence was fear. But why in the world, it's beautiful now that we ha- can be bold because look at what the text says. The text lays it out um, so um, beautifully um, for us to, to understand and, and, and for us to be able to, to, to see this because, because now, because of what Christ has done for us, which we'll see in a second, uh, this barrier, which we'll see in a second, has been taken away so we can go boldly before the throne of grace. I like that. Now the Bible says in Hebrews 4, go boldly before his throne so that you can receive mercy. Now, why wouldn't it just say, just come before the throne? Mercy demands that you understand that there are issues in your life. And so God has to use mercy as the bait for you to come in his presence. Why? Because when you mess up, the first thing you and I do is run. 
But God calls it a throne of grace where you receive mercy when? In the time of need. So at your worst moment where you messed up and you blew it, God says, come. See, that's, that's the beauty. See, many of us think of God like we thought of our last boyfriend or girlfriend. We think of the rejection that we've experienced in life the way we relate to the Lord who is life. And so, and so the challenge that we're fighting against is understanding that God wants us to take advantage of being around him. That's why Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that you know God and his only son. And we said, what? Well, that's what we call this a relationship. And a relationship demands that you move towards your God and you commit to pursuing him and loving him in, 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 in a way where you don't have to worry about anyone, anything, or any place. And that's why this is powerful truth for us as believers to be nurtured in and to grow in as we are very bold in the hope that he's given us. Oh, I got to move. Oh, I got to move. Here we go. He says, but, he says, but their minds were hardened. Their minds were hardened, 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 hardened. For to this day, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. This is rich. This is rich. So what, what, what is he saying? He said the veil that was over Moses' face became the disposition of the people of God's heart. In other words, this veil became a harder heart. And so this veil that was hardened on their heart is explained in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Look at it. It says in verse four, actually look at verse three of 2 Corinthians four, it says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So literally the veil is how the enemy molests unbelievers. Now, I don't have time to go through all of kind of the, the, the nine things within this, but there's one thing that I want you to, three things that I want you to see within this. There are three types of veils. Now, let me, as I'm explaining these veils, um, or, or the way in which that one veil expresses itself in three formats. Now, 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 now under there, there are three things that's simultaneous that goes between each one. But that can also happen in the life of you as a believer where you function under a veil that's been removed. Now, I'm a, but I'm going to talk about it from both perspectives as if you got one still. Can I do that? First veil or barrier, it's a barrier. It can be translated back. Barrier. First barrier is intellectual barrier. Now, see, that's why Christians need to think. Help me today, God. Because the intellectual barrier is a way of thinking that barricades people off from God. Let me see if I can make it. That, that, that's why when you talk to someone, they ask you, well, wasn't the Bible written by man? Jesus was a good person, but we don't view him as anything but maybe a prophet or a good. Those are intellectual barriers. 
Now, some of you are looking like, oh, I believe in the Bible. I believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. I, I, I believe in the triune God. I believe in by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. But when you go through a difficulty, <laughs> do you think all the time that God is good? See, that what the devil will do is he ain't going to get you when the praise and worship was killer. And you were on your knees and tears was coming down your face. You believe everything. You know, you believe in everything. You believe that he can pull the building and put it in another neighborhood. You believe anything. You know. But let your body get sick. Let you have a breakup. Let you have a breakdown. An old sleuthfoot, as the old preacher used to call him, will make his way towards you to try to veil the gospel in your life. And what he would do is he'll begin to say to you, is God really good? And guess what comes out of your mouth? I'm really struggling right now to believe that God is intellectual barrier. But then the emotional barrier, I could stay there all day. Emotional barrier is bad experiences that you've had that cloud your ability to see the gospel. See, so you can have a bad experience. That's why some people, I don't fool with Christians because of this. Oh, I went to church and it was this. And I dealt with this person and it was this. I ain't going to be with, I don't need no man because of this. I don't need no woman because of this. I don't need this. And you just, you, you base your life on an emotional response to brokenness. That creates a barrier in your life. So, so you can have intellectual barriers, ways of thinking, affections or bad experiences that break up your disposition towards fully being able to experience the glorious might of the gospel. But then there's the volitional barrier. The volitional barrier is the ability to execute what you know can be put in absolute bondage. He says, he, and so he says they, they, that's why the children of Israel had a hard time walking in obedience because their disposition was hardened towards the Lord. And, when, and, and guess what? You can be a believer and function in bondage as a person by Christ who has been announced as free. How can that happen? Because the Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Let's rephrase that, but say it the same way. Only the truth you know can set you free. <laughs> see, 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 if you don't know the truth, you won't walk in the freedom that God has for you. And many of us as believers are walking in bondage because we believe, we believe the lies of Satan that he has something better than God for us. And because you've been waiting on God, you've allowed an intellectual, emotional, and volitional barrier to impact your disposition towards the God who has made you free. And you become functionally hard even though you're functionally free. But why walk functionally free when you're walking in this hardness is because you're clinging to the hardness of your frustrations rather than the heart of a loving father that's committed to you, that's after you, for you to experience everything he has. That's why if if you got some issues, you need to work through those issues and be honest about those places of brokenness in your life. He said, the veil remains. He said, the veil remains on many of Israel, even till now. He says, why? Because only through Christ is it taken away. What's taken away? The veil. I love it. I love it. Um, It's interesting that when Christ died 
on the cross, there was an earthquake. And everything started shaking up. And the sky went black. The sun got sad and the moon hung low. But something interesting, almost parenthetical, happened. The Bible says that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Not bottom to top. Even if you tried to tear it from bottom to top, it would have still been difficult because of how thick the curtain was. But the thickness of this curtain, someone stood on top of the curtain and tore it from top to bottom to let you know where change comes from. Help me today. Um, 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 a God wanted to, he could have tore it from bottom to top, but God wanted to show us how change works. Change works when God stands over something. Help me today. And when he's lifted high over something and he looks down at it, because every issue in our lives, God has to look down to. Help me today. And, and so what God did was God literally took his anthropomorphic hands while his son was dying on the cross. Actually, the spirit of God did it. He stands over the temple and he's looking at the earthquake smiling because the Bible said he was pleased to crush him. So he was taking pleasure in the aroma of his son's death. He sent the spirit to stand over the top of the temple to place his hands on two sides of the veil that divided us from his presence and he tore it from top to bottom. I just wanna ask you one question today. What in your life does God need to stand on top of to tear from top to bottom? What intellectual barrier have you lifted up above the knowledge of Christ? What experience of hurt and pain that you've gone through that you've made God in your life? It's veiling your experience. And God says, I want you to be unbelievably free to experience me in all that I have you. And that's why it says only in Christ. Let me tell you something. You can't use what you want to use to tear down a spiritual veil. It doesn't work. Now, let me say that one more time. It doesn't work. I remember my, 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 my middle son, when he was younger, um, we didn't want him to have metal scissors. So we gave him some plastic scissors. And he was trying to cut something with plastic scissors and the scissors were getting messed up because those scissors were not meant to cut it. Only something of a different kind can cut it and tear it apart. And that's the same way Christ is in every area of your life and my life. It's his commitment and his ability to tear down those different things in our life. That's why it says for this, to this day, when the old covenant is read, they can't even hear the word of God because it remains unlifted. Then he says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. In other words, the veil itself becomes invalid. It is caused not to function. In other words, 
It, it, it can push the mess out of the way that stands in the way. Let me, let me see if I can make it plain. I, I remember when, you, you know, you know, when you couldn't afford a plumber to clean out your clog in your system, you would get liquid Drano. And when you took liquid Drano, you turn on the hot water and you pour the Drano through. And I liked on the commercial, it would show the thing that clogged it just sitting in there and clogging up everything that wants to come through. But nothing can come through because that which is in the way is clogging its ability to come through. But when you pour Drano down the drain, what was standing in the way began to break down and dissolve and get pushed through because Drano was powerful enough to move the barrier out the way. What I'm just trying to tell you today that Christ's blood is able to move any barrier in your life out of the way so that you can experience the massivity of the glory of God in every single area of your life. That's why he sets us free to experience the glory of who he is. I love this. It says, now the Lord is the spirit. <laughs> I like that Lord word. The spirit is the boss, not you. The spirit gets to boss you around. He's not the punk of the Trinity that we get to tell what to do. He's not the sucker of the Trinity that we say, go over here and do this. I command you right now. I'm like, nah, he's Lord. Watch how you talk to the spirit. You, he, he, he will give you a premature death. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. Um, he says, now the Lord is the spirit. Why does it say that? Because he's the one who frees you based on verse 16. He says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Oh. Where is the spirit then? Where is he? What does this text say he is? He's in you. So if he's in you, where does freedom lie? Freedom doesn't come to you. Freedom's already in you. Oh, you missed that. Somebody gonna shout on the way home. Uh, they're going to be listening to 103.9 or, or, or if you, in a you know, 106.9, you know how we do. We listen to whichever one, you know, which, you know, that's a whole nother multi-ethnic conversation. <laughs> Some of you just going to turn on 100.3, you're like, forget all that. <laughs> Done with worship, but... <laughs> Where the spirit of the Lord is, his sphere of operation, there is liberty. Mm. 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 That's good. That means that we have all this Holy Ghost in us. And we're not experiencing the freedom that God, God needs to change your mind about Christianity, family. I'm not talking about churchianity. See, when your mind is changed and you're aligned with true Christianity, you will see your life in a totally different way. I remember when I first trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I didn't know how I was going to make it. I was like, so I'm a believer now. Okay. So how are we going to work on this girls thing, Lord? <laughs> now, can I be straight up? I mean, now I know, you know, some of, I have two or three people that'll talk real with me. But I was wondering, like, I don't know how this weed thing gonna work, as I like, Lord, I like, like, getting high. I like rolling blunts. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know how we gonna work this out. 
And, 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 and what began to happen to me is, 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 is I, I spent the first year of my walk with Christ confused about the fight between the flesh and the spirit. But really, it was a fight between my mind of what I believed and how I would allow the Lord to be better than what I thought was good. Let me me explain something to you. The more you grow and you learn who the Lord is, and the more you grow and see like there's stuff to do in Christianity. Like some of y'all, oh, I can't go nowhere no more. I can't wear this type of skirt no more. I can't get gold because the Bible says gold can't be braided in your hair no more. I mean, and then we all have this disposition of off-limitlessness with Christianity when you've entered the era of limitlessness. Because many of us view our Christless life as freedom. I remember when I could just, wow, that was bondage. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, you were in bondage. But when you become a believer, you're free. Now you have to grow in. The more your eyesight grows to the glory of God's parameters, you see the expanse of enjoyment. Let me give you something for free. I'm going to give you something for free, for real, for real. I thought, and I was a serial monogamous in the world. I thought, can I be frank? Getting at different chicks was limitlessness. So what I thought was, I can get with Shorty got this type of girl, you know, woman, woman. Shorty over here, she likes it. Shorty over here, uh, you know, I just thought I had a buffet. If I'm being honest. But, but when I started walking with Christ, I, was, I wasn't married yet, but I knew that things were going to change. <laughs> and so I was like, now, God, now, I'm, now, you know, how am I going to be with one, like, one, like one woman for the rest of my life? I mean, yeah, one. And God, I could just sense the new man in me saying, trust him. I wrestled all the way up to the altar and I, uh, and I had been celibate for a while, which was hard. And, um, <laughs> and when I got married, I had no idea how many dimensions there was to one woman. But but don't don't come, wait, 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 I want you to hear all of this. Wait, wait, wait. And, and, And then I began to realize how shallow I was. Because it's easy to do the same tricks on people you're not gonna be with for a long time. Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me. It's okay. But when you're with one person having to walk in oneness, you have to grow in the expansiveness of that person. I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about emotional connection. And then you learn this stuff about yourself that expands you. 
because oneness is not just about smashing. Oneness, listen, is about you growing in who you're not. And sing to me, dang, I can't even believe I'm this selfish. Man, I can't believe that I need to sacrifice this. Man, I can't believe that this person is like this. Man, I can't believe that she has. Man, this stuff about her, she don't even know that God is revealing through a spiritual growth that I'm able to experience that I wouldn't have experienced if this was a one-night wonder. See, all I'm trying to tell you is if you are patient with God's process. In everything in life, there's there's expansive depth. Why? Because he's expansive depth. We're so shallow. Because the devil always blesses on the front end and curses on the back end. He He always shines it up on the front. And then you're lost and trapped and broken. Then you blame God for what you allowed the devil to get you into. And then the more you grow as a believer, your taste buds change. And then you're like, opportunity to commit adultery comes up. When it comes, y'all quiet. It's like, do I want to take the time to mess up the way this woman's depths have been revealed to me, all that is is physical. There's so many dimensions to the soul that God transforms. The body by itself is a mess. Forget just the body. I want to experience the whole. See, when you get that in every area of your life as a believer, you'll then understand what it means. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. (laughs) Then you're free. You're free when you can look at an opportunity to sin and see how shallow it is. You can say, man, that, that doesn't lead anywhere but to death. That doesn't, that, what, what am I going this way for? Why am I Instagram stalking this person for? Uh. Why am I looking at porn? When you dumb down an interpersonal experience to your personal experience. Uh. See, your mind and my mind has to be wrapped around the depths of who God is. That's why he says this in verse 18, and I'm out your way. He says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Unveiled means reflect. Means you get to look at God straight in the face. There's no barrier between you and him. And the more the veil functionally gets removed, the clearer you can see the Lord. The Lord. That's why you worship. Nobody shouldn't have to work you up to get in his presence. He says you can behold the Lord with unveiled face, with a glory that doesn't fade. Look at it. He says as being transformed into the same image. The more you look, 
the more you change. Ah, uh, the more you look, that means that you have to notice the Lord. See, the problem with us is we don't see God in nothing. And the more you see God in everything, you're staring at the face of his radiant essence. When you go through something, you see God in it, that's staring at his glory. When you deal with a hurt and you press through it and say, I'm going to believe him, you see his glory. Stop playing with the faith. It's too much to him. It's too, he's too big. He's too wide. He's too high. He's too low to dumb him down to a download. How dare we? When he's the image of everything that we should be. Paul says, what is going on then? He's doing this, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What does that mean? Your life is supposed to be a reflection of God. A old Smith, 2,000 years ago, he, well, probably like 1,500 years ago, he was working in his smithing room. And his son came in, and he heard the clinks from the outside, and he came in and went in and to bring his dad some lunch. And he said, Dad, what, what, what you doing? He says, I'm, I'm working, son. He said, what are you working on now? He said, I'm working for a crown for the king and the queen. He said, a crown? Son looked around. He says, this place is a mess. It stinks. It reeks. It's a lot of broken things in here. He said, why in the world would, you wear, would they want to wear something that comes from a place like this? He says, because this is the place where broken things are molded, son. And he said, son, come here. He says, I take, I've done stuff for wars with soldiers, won wars because of this room. Kings and queens wear what I forge in this room. And this room is a messy room. And there's one reason why it's messy. He said, why, Dad? He said, come here. He's heating up and he's pressing on the blower on the heat and he's watching the heat. He said, he says, he says son, put your foot on it. And the son started pressing. He said, not too much, not too much, not too much. That's too much. All right, because you can, you can damage this metal if you put too much fire under it, son. He said, okay, Dad. Press a little more. And he said, look, look at that bubbly stuff that's coming on the top. He said, what's that? He, he said, son. That's the mess. He said, son, be careful. He gave him a smelting spoon. And the son, he said, scoop. The, don't, don't get the metal out. Just get the mess that's on top of it out. Throw it out. Heat it up a little more. It's going down. Heat it up a little more. Ah, stop. Get it. Scoop it off. And the father kept looking like this. He said, dad, what are you doing? He said, I hover over it. He said, I hover over it because... What I want to see that lets me know that this metal is ready to be forged is my face. Once I see my face in this metal, it's ready to do what it is able to. So, son, you're asking me, why can a king and queen wear this? 
is because it's gone through the process of the mess, being removed from it, and it's wearing something that's crowning them, letting them know that the mess has been removed and the purity is there. That's what God is up to in your life. When you stare in his face and when you look in his glory and when you work through what he's working you through, all he's trying to do is see his face. He wants to see himself. The more you stare at him, the more dross will come up. Don't get stared, stay there. He's going to remove it long as you keep your face in his face. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but hang in there. God is bringing himself to fruition inside of you. He wants to see all that he wants you to be. He wants to grow you into all the woman of God that you're supposed to be, the man of God that you're supposed to be, the lover that you're supposed to be, the worker that you're supposed to be. He's working. on you. Why are you so free, believer? Because you're free to deal with your stuff without consequences. <laughs> you're free. God liberated you at the cross. That's what Christ did at the cross. He hung and died so that God can work on us without killing us. And he got up from the grave, letting you know what a drossless picture looks like. <laughs> Father, we honor you and we thank you.